welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. This is Nat Newell, Pacers editor for the Indy Star. Here, of course, with Dustin Dopirak, our Pacers insider. A uh, little different uh, mood, tone, whatever else you want to say to this podcast from last week when they were coming off an inexplicable loss to the Portland Trailblazers, followed by a we equally. Uh, I, I don't know if the sec if the first if the loss to Miami was worse than Portland or not, but both were clearly below whatever line for unacceptable loss that there is. Um, mm. But then they beat Miami without Ty Halliburton, and then last night um, was just an incredible atmosphere, a lot of fun. Um, they beat the, the Celtics by 10 in a game that was closer than that uh, to advance to the semifinals of the in-season tournament, the IST, of course. Um and uh, they'll advance to Las Vegas. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on what we've seen from this team um, over the last eight days? Yeah, I mean, obviously it tells you just the wide range of outcomes uh, with this group. I got a kick out of it. Um, uh, as soon as the game ended on, on Saturday night in Miami, uh, Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press within me said, that, said this team is going to drive you insane um, in the sense of, you know, obviously, like, I, I'm not a fan, I'm not invested, but just in the sense of trying to get a, a – a game to game sense of who they are. Um, you know, it, it's, again, it, it's a very wide range uh, of who they can be on a given evening. Um, obviously, I, I thought they defended a lot better uh, on, on Monday than they have. Um, and I told them so, but, you know, they. Um, and Tyrell Burton was very much appreciative that you he, did. he was very much appreciative. I'm still trying to figure out if, like, that was quietly sort of a dig, like, you've been killing us on this. Like, finally, thank you for telling us we don't suck entirely. Um, uh, or, or if that was just an, an overall kind of comment about the fact that they have been crushed over defense, and deservedly so. I mean, they went into the last night last in pretty much everything. Um I think but he's too smart not to know that defense has been a problem. Sure. I mean, heck, Rick Carlisle oh, he is telling them that at every, yeah, he every practice. So I, my take on it was that, you know, I, he certainly was saying it with a little bit tongue-in-cheek, saying, hey, thanks for recognizing it. I thought it was more to the mm. world at large while also understanding that the criticism was uh, unavoidable. Um, right. Yeah. So that he and, was and mostly he just so. having fun with it. But I would yeah. prefer if he was really getting a dig in at you and uh, had made this personal. But I don't think that's what it Fair, was. Fair, exactly. That's more entertaining if it, if it became like a just, you know, a, a, better, a, uh, <laughs> yeah, better, better, better for business if, uh, if that's the case. If we were feuding over how bad their defense is. Yeah. Uh, that's true. No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, and he did point out, you know, Thursday, Thursday after the loss of the Heat, he's like, like, look, like, we know the defense is an issue for us. Like, you guys don't need to tell us. Like, some of you talk about, like, it's a really smart thing. You know, like, we know we're supposed to play better defense. It's just hard. Um, but no, I mean, I think, you know, again, broader scale, like, just because they're so good on offense and because they're still so bad on defense, uh, generally, you know, just everything's possible with this group, and they can have nights where they can come back from twenty point leads, when, or or when it seems like they're they're just bound to uh, eventually get destroyed. Uh, that they can find a way to pull things out. They can just just you know, they can find the magic when they need it. Um, and so it again, all things at this point are really possible with this team on a given night. I mean, presumably. Um, the consistency won't, you know, won't be there for them to be a top team in the East. But now they've beaten every top team in the East. I mean, you, like the, the three teams that you would say, um, Orlando's obviously up there, so that's a, a different story going forward. Um, you know, in terms of where they're going to actually end up, but they've beaten 
Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, uh, just everybody that you could say is an established power. You know, also Cleveland, um, you know, that's a little bit less established and still has Donovan Mitchell, and so you kind of have to put them up there um, in that category. They've now beaten all this, those teams this year. They've beaten everybody in the East that you could say, well, that's a team that you need to get through if, if you're going to win the Eastern Conference. They've beat everybody once. I mean, do I think they can beat all of those teams in a seven-game series? I don't. Um, but all the same, they, they have beat each of those teams once and just tells you, okay, like the capacity for this team on one given night um, is good enough to beat literally anybody in the league. Um, and so that, that's that's who this team is. Again, it's capable of losing everybody. It's lost to Portland, it's lost to Charlotte, it's lost to Chicago. Um, and so, you know, that is how wide the range of outcomes are on a given night for this team is they can beat anybody and lose to anybody. So all things are possible now. And certainly, um, but you could see they, they can rise to a moment. Uh, you know, they, they can adjust when they've been beaten by a team. They obviously did that in Philadelphia and then again in Miami. They're obviously capable of, of having a special night without Halliburton on the floor. Um, and, you know, again, when the all of the eyes of the NBA, you know, the NBA watching community were on them on Monday night, you know, at home, they were capable of stepping up and riding uh, a crowd that really wanted it uh, to a big time win. And they're going to go to Vegas and get the kind of showcase that they never get uh, on national TV over this weekend. Yeah, I was actually thinking about the whole losing to the bad teams uh, and beating the good teams. Um, I think that's – if you got to choose, I would rather be a team that can beat the really good teams but lose to the really bad teams than mm. a team that doesn't beat the really good teams but beats all the really bad teams. I just think it speaks to their ceiling. Maybe that's me being too big of a optimist, but I think there's something to it. I mean, I think sure. you can learn to take those other games more seriously – where I yeah. don't know if you can all of a sudden learn to beat, you know, the Sixers, the Celtics, the Bucks. Exactly. I mean, you you got to win those kind of games to to show where your ceiling is. And if if you if you find a rut as a team that tells you, okay, we can beat those guys, we can't beat those guys, and let's start penciling in, you know, wins and losses. You know, say like, okay, like just just know you got to win the ones that you're supposed to win, and you know, uh, accept that you're going to lose the ones that you're expo- you're supposed to lose. I mean, you kind of commit yourself to a certain mediocrity there. And there's like certain scenarios where, you know, that, that works out okay for you. You know, like if you're a college football team that's looking to go eight and four and you're like, all right, you know, uh, if you're in the big 10 and you say, well, Michigan and Ohio state is out of our range of, you know, teams that we can beat, but let's make sure we beat Illinois and Northwestern and Iowa and whatever else. Like, okay, that, that, that sets you up pretty nice. Uh, but as an NBA team in particular, if, if you're going to say, man, there are some teams that we can't touch, um, you know, that really limits you. And then you, you you get to a playoff scenario, and if you're an eight seed or a seven seed, you're like, well, we might as well not even play this one. Let's just, you know, pack up and go to Cancun and say we, we did a pretty nice year. Um, you know, this group is, is in a situation where, where you you go into every night believing that you can win. Um, and, and that opens a, up a lot up for you. And, and you can still say to yourself, like, hey, you know, you go on a run, maybe you can win 50. You know, it's not crazy to think that. Or you can go into these, go into playoffs as an eight or a seven or a six and not think, well, you're definitely out first round. You know, you can beat somebody. If you can beat Boston once, you can beat them four times. If you can beat Milwaukee once, you can beat them four times in theory. Um, you know, like you wouldn't bet on that uh, if, if you're looking at this from as an outsider. But if, if you're, you know, if you're a player, you're, you're saying, 
hey, if I can beat Boston one time, I can beat Boston four times. If I can beat Milwaukee one time, I can beat Milwaukee four times. There's no reason to go into a playoff game and say, you can't do this. It's over. You might as well pack it up. You have a chance. You know, like if if Miami can beat Milwaukee four times and stun them as an eighth seed, you know, the Pacers can look at themselves if they get into a playoff and say, we beat Boston, we beat Milwaukee, we beat Philadelphia. Um you know, we, we belong on the floor in these in these teams, and that means we can beat them. So we shouldn't think that you can't win a playoff series regardless of where you're seated. Um, let's talk about uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Obviously, we talk about him a lot, but he earns it. Um, sure. I, I mean, it really seems like, you know, we've gone from, wow, look what he could be. He's a nice little player for Indiana to, you know, where does he rank among the absolute best guards in the NBA? I don't think he's first team all pro, um, but mm. I, I mean, there's, you know, is he one of the first, is, is he belong on the first three teams? I think so at this point and it's early, but uh, um, just talk about what's, you know, where's the step he's taken this year? Cause he's been good, but why is he better this year than he's been previously? I think, well, I mean, two things I would say, one, for the purpose of getting him numbers uh, and, and making him look good, not not just, you know, obvious. And, and I don't mean that, that. That certainly sounds like I am diminishing this as a on the grand scheme. Um, but, I, I mean, they, they obviously put players around him that fit his style. Um, you know, bringing in Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin help. Um, and, you know, even with, and, and frankly, moving Matherin out of the starting lineup puts him with, five guys or four guys that really fit what he wants to do uh, in that starting line. I've been Bruce Brown, Buddy Heald, uh, Obi Toppin, and Miles Turner. It's four guys that don't need the ball in their hand for a long period of time to make something happen. It's, it's guys who run the floor really well, get themselves in position, catch and shoot very well. All four of them do. Um, and so all Ty has to do is find them in a spot. They put a shot up uh, and they score. And so like, that makes his assist numbers really high. They can all they space the floor. You know, Buddy Hield and Bruce and, and Brown and Toppin can all you know all pull their defenders out. You know, move the middle like open up the middle of the floor a little bit. Put him in situations where he can drive, run pick and roll with Turner, or pick and pop with Turner, uh, and get him some open scenarios. So like that group really fits what he wants to do offensively. Obviously, it is not a great defensive group, um, but I mean I think it's it, you know it, its offensive efficiency numbers are. are Pretty much crazy. Um, I, I got to look them up to see just how good they are. Um, but when that group is on the floor together, it scores um, like like nuts. And so you know that 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 I think is a, is a big piece. Is just he's been built around. They've further committed to the um, this the the style of play that is Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, I think um, you know like what James Harden said, "I'm not a system player. I'm a system um, like." That's actually true for Tyrese Halliburton, you know, not, not in the sense that he is just the guy and you just give him the ball and leave him alone and let him take whatever shots he wants like you do with Harden. Uh, Halliburton creates, you know, his style of play is something that you can build around and make everybody else play and make everybody else happy with. And, and he was already doing that pretty well. And you take these guys and they fit even better and they're happy playing within that system, Toppin and Brown in particular, come into this and like, yeah, this works for me, man. This 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 maximizes me and that all works. But I, I the other thing is he's a he's he was already a good shooter, he's a better shooter. You know, I mean he's he's clocking in at like forty five percent right now. Ended last year at forty and that was really good, but that five percent is a big difference. 
you know, not a lot of the guys shoot 45% from three on high volume. Obviously, you got to presume that over the course of the year, that's going to go down. Um, but I think I, I just checked the other night. He's third in the league in makes um, behind. I mean, he's right there with Luca, and the only guy that's ahead of him is Steph. And obviously, you know, when, when Steph plays a whole year healthy, and he didn't last year, but when Steph plays a whole year healthy, nobody's going to catch him as far as three-point makes is concerned. But Halliburton's right there with the next group. So, like, he's shooting them at higher volume. He's hitting them from deeper. Um, he's more efficient. You know, I mean, like, the, this, the shot making is wild. And it's just he brings it across the timeline, and he can make it. You know, I mean, like, he already – all ready was capable from deep, but he's more efficient, more consistent, um, and, and hitting those shots. He's creating them pretty easy, you know, with the step back and everything. And, you know, that thing is lethal right now. And so again, you've got to presume there's going to be some level of regression to the mean that like he can't hit those kind of shots at 45% for a year. Um, cause they're wild, but if he's anywhere near close to that, I mean, that's just, it, it's, it's it's a crazy tool because you kind of can't defend it. Like you got to let him take that shot. You know, if, if you're a defender, you you got to say like, all right, well, if you're shooting from thirty, I, I got to let you. You know, I I can't defend you all the way back there because you can beat me off the bounce and you can beat me in the pick and roll. Um, and when he's hitting thirty footers, it's a tip your cap shot. But if, if he's hitting thirty footers and forty five percent, that's a wild number, and that 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 is the sort of thing that gets you in the MVP discussion. Yeah, uh, and talking about what we were going to discuss on the podcast, you mentioned uh, that this is a learning team. I want to get more into that, but I, I think that starts with Halliburton. I mean, just his attitude and his approach, we've talked about it before. Obviously, you don't get to this level without an ego, but he's always trying to add things or adjust or whatever. Even the defense comment like shows, you know, this is not someone saying, hey, everything I do is right. Um and, you know, if you say otherwise, you're wrong. And I'm, you know, and, and that's, and we can't agree on that. No, nah, I mean, he sees what they need to do. He sees what he needs to do. And when your best player does that, I think that forces on some levels, the other players on the team to, to have the same attitude. Um, mm. Or at least if they don't have that attitude, it can't take over um, the attitude of the best player. I mean, I guess to sort of talk about what you mean by, by this team's ability to learn as it goes along. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, it, it, it it does take lessons. I mean, obviously, like you said, it starts with Halliburton, and it, he's just amazing at that. Like you, because um, like simultaneously, he's so honest with himself, and and he is, well, you know, I mean, he does have an ego. Like you, it, it it doesn't. It's a different ego, and obviously, selflessness is a big part of who he is. Of of being able to connect with guys, like it makes him happy to see other people succeed. So that. That is, he he is capable of being very selfless, but also, you know, having an ego, having a competitiveness, having a desire to win and beat you and get better and think of himself as one of the best players in the league. Like that, it, it matters to him, um, you know, being that confident and, 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 and feeling that way and, and earning his stripes. And like, he knows that they haven't been on TV. It bothers him. I mean, he is capable of taking those, you know, kind of, um, you know, he takes slights and he uses them, you know, as fuel. I mean, he's, he is big on that, even though, again, like, he is super nice to everybody. And even if he thinks that you, you know, said something mean about him in, in you know, uh, in a story, like, he'll still be good to you, but, like, he'll remember it, you know. Um, but he's also, like, this 
almost if it, he's like an inside on NBA caliber TV pundit right now. Like, I mean, he, he can, he watches film on people and, and he understands the game so well and he, and he understands what his flaws are, what the team's flaws are. And he's capable of speaking that really honestly. Like, I mean, he, you know, like obviously he's a guy that if his career ended tomorrow, he could be on TNT the, the next night, you know, like he's capable of talking the game at that level at, on an entertainment level, but also on that, on a, he gets the game and he knows who everybody is and what they're good at kind of level. Um, so that, passes on where he's capable of saying out loud, hey, guys, we're not good enough at this. We're not good enough at that. Um, we've got to get better at this and, and doesn't come off as he's being overly critical. Um, and he knows he's part of the problem on defense. You know, I mean, like he he he, he absolutely is. And some of that is just a, a, a level of physical incapability. I mean, as slick as he is on offense, he's obviously not um, built um, to be a – get down, stay in a stance, keep your guy in front of you type of defender. I mean, he's really good at getting out in passing lanes and, and getting steals because he reads the game so well. Uh, but he still does get overpowered. And then there were times when the Celtics absolutely picked on him uh, last night where they tried to get him in matchups. And he got better in the second half I mean, was, when he was feeling better physically. But he admitted, I mean, he was terrible on defense. And he was uh, in the first half. I mean, they just... You know, when they could get Holiday, you know, attacking him or they could get Tatum attacking him and or Brown attacking him, they got him in switches and they went at him and they usually won, um, you know, and he got that and he did step up and play better. But it's still a place where he's not great. Um, but as a whole, I mean, again, they, they are just not good enough defensively to be able to just say we're holding a team under 100 tonight. Um but they can notice, okay, we really got beaten this this angle or, or this matchup was a problem. You know, we, we've got to show more presence on this guy or we've got to make this guy work. And they can get better from night to night. I mean, like I thought, you know, even though t- Jimmy Butler still scored 33 on Saturday, I thought you saw Obi Toppin play really good defense and, and really, you know, um, they were, just, I thought, really disciplined, uh, keeping themselves out of, crazy foul trouble like they were in on Thursday. You know, they looked at that matchup and said, what can we do better? And they weren't great against them, but they were better. And then, you know, Philadelphia, they, um, you know, Maxie goes for 50. And obviously there's a coaching adjustment there where they decide to put, you know, where, where they've been trying to play these pick on rolls uh, two on two. They were able to say, okay, that that's not a thing you can do um, against Maxie. Like there's, he's got too much speed going downhill. Um, you know, put a, have some nail presence, put a help defender at the nail. So when he comes off that elbow pick and roll, there's somebody there to at least just get in his way. You know, I mean, even if you're not going to just stone him there at the free throw line, um, you got somebody that makes him make another move. And so it makes it just a little bit harder, uh, to score every time, making me at least consider a pull up there, uh, rather than going all the way to the rim. And, you know, that made them, you know, I think he's still got 36 or something like that, or it was 33, you know, somewhere along those lines. But he doesn't get 50, and, and you know, like it makes Philadelphia beatable when you're going to go off like, like Halliburton did in that game. So they they do take lessons. I mean, again, I mean, I think they know that, you know, just on a physical level, they're not a great defensive team. Um, they know that there are things they can do better from game to game, that they are wise enough, I guess, to know where their imperfections are. Um, but they can take a scouting report, uh, and particularly if they're playing somebody twice in a row, and say, okay, you know, what do we do wrong this time? What do we do better this time? And apply that. I also have been, uh, it's been really interesting to watch how 
Carlisle's handing the ling this team. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that because he didn't uh, play a backup center last night, as I suggested at the beginning of the season in my bold predictions. Um, mm-hmm. We did. That's uh, true. That's a really yeah, good point. Okay, one time it happened, so I'm counting that as a win. Um, yeah. But also uh, the point guard situation. I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, T.J. McConnell and does he have to play more, um, and it seems like he does. But at the same time, against Detroit, uh, it, it was you know McConnell didn't play, and that was a big turnaround there. And it was on defense in the second half. I mean, it's still the, or the fourth quarter, still the, the Pistons. But um, I, and I mean, last night uh, Nemhard barely played, um, and as I said, none of the backup centers played. I mean, is there any sense that there were? I mean, it seems it sure seems like they're less worried about, hey, we got to develop this guy or that guy, um, and more, and they're more definitely at the point like we can win, and that's all that matters. And if someone gets their feelings hurt, that's their problem, not mine. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is that way, and it's not even so much. I mean, he's also working on feelings and being hurt. Like, don't, don't like that is definitely a thing that he is putting. It would be a mistake to not think that he's putting time in um, as far as massaging egos. He is, uh, especially the wounded ones of the guys who aren't playing. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's for, you know, like, and, and he has put that out, and I think he's put it out on purpose on a couple occasions about guys who haven't, get, haven't been getting minutes. Um, you know, obviously from the beginning uh, to – and that, that, I think, is the motivation, obviously, for telling us on night one when T.J. McConnell didn't play about this meeting where Carlisle was, was almost in tears telling them that, you know, T.J., you're not going to play every night. Um, I, I think that was a big key. You know, I think he was trying to get out of that across and say, like, this does not mean I don't respect T.J. McConnell. This doesn't mean I don't think that I'm going to use T.J. McConnell. Um, I want everybody to know I think he's a big part of this team. But you know, we're not going to have a 10-man rotation just to have a 10-man rotation. We're not playing guys just to develop. We we do view it as you have to no, – number one, you have to earn it. Um, number two, we're going to care about matchups and, and what's specifically needed on a given night um, and not say, okay, like, there's this first unit, there's the second unit, the second unit comes in at this minute every game, and that's what it is. Um, you know, it's instead saying you, you got to find a way to win these – um, and you know you you have an opportunity to win significantly now, even if you don't think you're a championship team, you're a playoff team, and it's a step that you have to take. So you have to be willing to move things around to make it happen. Um, and so he's devoted to that, but he's also saying, okay, like yeah, I'm going to put out there that I I know TJ has to do things and I, it has to play, and his competitiveness matters. Um, and I want to make sure everybody knows that on night one so nobody thinks I'm burying this veteran uh, who can be helpful. Uh, I want to make sure everybody knows that I think Jordan Norris is a good player um, and can score, even though he's barely, you know, getting any time. And even Daniel Tice, I mean, I think part of that was saying, like, please, somebody give us something, anything for Daniel Tice. You can use him, I promise. Um, you know, it, like, that obviously didn't work out eventually, but I mean, I think he wanted everyone to know that he still considers Daniel Tice a pro, even though Daniel clearly wasn't happy with the way things went. Um, he was at least making sure that everybody knew that he thinks he's a good player, and he's saying that with Jer- Jairus Walker as well, saying, to, you know, uh, about Jairus, you know, that his time is coming, um, and that he's a really talented guy, and he's giving them these opportunities with the Mad Ants that's not, shouldn't be viewed as a demotion. It's, we still really like you, go take some opportunities to play, and, and you're going to get there eventually. Um, so I think he is doing all that on purpose. Um, you know, he is not just saying we have to develop youth and that's going to be the point of this year. There is a winning drive with this group, 
but he he is making a point to say, you know, all of these other guys can be helpful pieces in the long run, and we're not trying to throw them away either. We're not trying to just say, well, you know, if you are mad about this, you know, buzz off. It's, you know, we get it. It's hard. It's rough. Hang in there with us because there will there will be a time when we need you. Um, another thing that jumped out at me from last night was you got to love, I mean, Matherin, I don't know if we, in our discussions or anyone else's discussions, I don't know if Matherin's name ever came up after the game yet. Mm. I mean, he brought, he didn't shoot great, but he, he was the only bench guy or, um, to produce a significant numbers. Um, and you also just saw the attitude. Um, he does, and we, we talked about this before. It's like, you can't miss it with him. He does not care who you are. Um, no. he's going to let you know he's there. And Buddy Heels the same way. I mean, I mean, Buddy's, uh, you know, Buddy's a little nuts, but in a good way. Uh, just, mm. uh, just talk about what they bring. I mean, it's a young team, but it's a young team that's not afraid, which maybe, you know, is a little unusual, uh, to see. Yeah, no, I mean, there's exactly there, like um, there, there's not a lot of timidity. I mean, like um, there are there are guys who are just like who do have a sense of, OK, like this is where I really am in the league. Like, you know, like Andrew Nimhard and Aaron Neesmith don't think, you know, Benedict Matherin thinks that he can be one of the best players who ever touched the basketball. Aaron Neesmith and Andrew Nimhard don't view themselves that way necessarily, but they're, they're not afraid, obviously, of defensive assignments in particular. I mean, Neesmith wanted Tatum and he wanted him bad. Uh, you know, I mean, like he we we talked to him briefly in, in pregame and he was like, yeah, I, I really want this one. You know, I, I really, really want this one. Um, and, and he, you could tell, I mean, he was just ferocious against Tatum and he had a big block, uh, and, and, you know, had the, the ferocious dunk to put that game away. Um, Matherin, I mean, he's five of 14 from the floor. He had some big misses. And I think early on he was having trouble finishing him. Mean, he gets one two point shot. That's rare. Um, that, that his shot profile is such that, you know, half of his shots are threes and four out of his five makes are threes, but those three balls were big. You know, and, and like he is not the most consistent outside shooter. I mean, he's got a good looking one, but don't go in all the time. Um, but you know, he hit some threes when he really had to make them. There was a couple big ones in the third quarter, a couple big ones early when everybody else was having a hard time shooting. Um, and so those were big. And, and like, and like you said, I mean, he is totally fearless and he's going against the Boston Celtics. That's what he, that's the situation he wants to say, like, all right, like I am as good as all of you. And, you know, like I, I belong in this discussion, even though he's not having a year that puts him there, uh, necessarily, like he still has those moments where he's like, and where you see it, that there's some, there's that kind of capacity, you know, buddy, like you said, is, is, you know, a little bit nuts, but I mean, and he was hilarious last night. He, he was just, I didn't get a chance to put this in there anywhere, but he just said, you know, come on, nobody thinks, no, nobody wants us there, you know, but, you know, who gives a, you know, you know, we're, we're there. Like everybody, everybody would rather have seen the Boston Celtics, but we're there. Um, and, you know, we're not afraid of anybody. And so, you know, I mean, and his three, as big as the Halliburton shot was, and it was massive, and that's obviously the shot of the night, but Buddy coming in, off the baseline out of bounds uh, and hitting the shot that puts them up seven is such, you know, that that's, you know, that's your, your knockout blow, you know, right there. It was like, after you get a big one, like, like Halliburton had is, you know, to, to totally spend the time when you're one Oh five, one Oh five. And all of a sudden the math changes immediately with the Halliburton, you know, four point play. Um, then when it's a, you know, then like you, you got a, you know, a, a team staggered. I mean, Boston was staggered. Like they took a big shot there and, you know, like Buddy hit them while they, you know, before they got their bearings back and they were on the floor. You know, that that's the shot that puts them that out. 
for the count, and obviously Neesmith follows that with the dunk, and they're truly done at that point. Um, but Buddy having that kind of killer instinct moment to say, you know, I hit this one and you're done, you know, was, was I thought, a really big shot, uh, was, was humongous. And so, yeah, he was 7-11 from the field, 4-6 from 3. And, and for as much as, you know, like you spent a lot of the early season talking about, okay, well, this is obviously the swan song for Buddy Heald, um, and, you know, how fast are they going to trade him? Man, they're a better team because they have him. You know, they absolutely are. I mean, he's still, you know, still not a good defensive player at all. He was plus 29 last night. That's wild, you know, well, uh, against the Boston Celtics. I also love that he uh, McConnell makes that great steal. And, again, anyone playing basketball, you want to be a point guard, McConnell mm-hmm. could have easily taken the layup. Instead, he's looking around who – Who's got? You know, who can I give the ball to? So that was great. Yeah. You know, that's just TJ McConnell. But who and he knew it was he, Buddy too because like Buddy and Tyrese have this dunk contest. Well, I was gonna say so he gives it to Buddy. Buddy dunks and that it's this. You know, they're going back and forth. It's this. I mean, it's the biggest regular season game the Pacers have played. In I don't know how long. And what's Buddy doing? He's looking for Halliburton because he dunked and they have a competition yeah. over dunks. You just gonna love that. Yeah, that, and TJ looks for him too. That's what he's thinking about. And TJ looked for him too. Like I think that he definitely TJ like tees up Buddy and definitely looks over at Tyrese to be like, see, <laughs> like, like I got I got him one. You know, it's like okay, like we we got you one up on this. And yeah, that's who they are. I mean, they're at their best. You know, they have, that's that's the chemistry of this team is they're just they're just clearly just having a good time together. I mean, I I think there's more tension on this team than last year's because last year's was such a joyride. Um, and you know, like they won 35 games and they were thrilled with it. Like they, they did not expect to be that good. This group has an expectation, um, and it does make the losses harder and, and it creates a little bit more tension, which again, I think Rick has, you know, has done a good job of mostly easing, uh, when there's, when he's had to do it, but, um, they are still a group that's having a blast together, um, and, and plays just a, a style that can't not be fun. Uh, speaking of a blast, an incredible atmosphere last night. Um, I will be the first person to tell you, and, uh, again, feel, email me, not Dustin. Pacer fans tend to be fairly fair weather. Um, again, <laughs> it costs a lot of money to go to games. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do with their, you know, with their money. Um, but when the Pacers are not great, you know, it's tough to get people interested in the team. But last night, it was unbelievable. I mean, and, and, and I don't know that this was, Acknowledged, but they had almost 17,000 people there for a game that you didn't know was happening except until the you know the week before or whatever. Um, yeah. So so great showing by the fans, and you know again, yeah, you know as a you know the the media's your your objective, you're rooting for the story, but at the same time that doesn't mean you can't enjoy an atmosphere, a spectacle, whatever we're watching right now. I mean, it's good for business, as I've said, um, mm. but it's also just fun. I mean, and, I mean, you know, what was your, what were your thoughts? What did you see from the, uh, uh, you know, from the crowd, from the atmosphere there last night? Yeah, what no, I mean, I think uh, McConnell said it best, you know, at the end, he's like, if you don't think that's a playoff atmosphere, that just means you've never seen one, um, which is fair. I mean, I, I, have, I haven't, obviously, and, and a lot of the guys, <laughs> you know, on the Pacers haven't either, um, but, or at least I haven't in a, you know, reporting sense. Um, but I, I, it was just, I mean, from opening tip, I mean, it, it, you know, like it not only had a playoff atmosphere, but it also had that atmosphere of, you know, a playoff game when you haven't been there in a while. I mean, I, I think you, you can see when teams are really dangerous in any of the, you know, best of seven 
American sports that it's different when, you know, a team that has not a playoff series in a while gets its first home game, you know, in, 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 in the playoffs. Like when you're, you know, like, uh, like classic example, you know, for, uh, for my hometown was when the Pirates got a playoff game and they got, got the, you know, wild card game in 2013. I mean, it was, there was something different. Like you could see it on TV, like it came through, um, just how starved, you know, the, the fan base was. And again, this is not an actual playoff game. This is an in-season tournament game. Um, but you could tell it had been a while and they were up on everything. They're booing starters introductions. Like they are after the rest on every single call and, and just, you know, you know, booing every foul. Um, and just, I mean, and, and the, like every time they, you know, the pace was hit at three, like the roof felt like it was coming off the place. Like there was just it, like that vibe of it has been a while since we've got to do this, you know, let, let's, let's get into it. I mean, again, it's like, it's like game three for, you know, these series of, uh, you know, a, a seven seed or whatever, a six seed that, that hasn't been there in a while, like Sacramento last year, you know, like, uh, maybe that's probably Sacramento, you know, game one for Sacramento, but just like, you're like, man, this is going to be tough to win in this, this building. Um, you know, and you, you see it that way, like, whoa, okay, this is different. Um, that's what it was for these guys. Uh, you know, it, it was just going to be really, really tough to win in this building because, you know, in that building last night, because like Pacers fans were up for this and you can tell, you know, because like, uh, and that's kind of what this whole thing was marketed for is let's sort of get a fan base, um, that doesn't usually get in, you know, that hasn't had a, a, a playoff in a while. Like let, let's get them an early opportunity to get really dialed up, um, and basically it was everything if you're the NBA it's everything that you possibly wanted you know out of this tournament was in that game you know everything that you were hoping it would be it was uh let's finish up with with this i mean you just sort of touched on it this is not a playoff game how big a deal do you think this is i mean the in season tournament uh clearly it, i mean the uh, i don't think anyone can argue that it hasn't been a success in terms of what the NBA was trying to accomplish i was Skeptical, hopeful, because you want to see the regular season games matter. But certainly, I, I, I have to have exceeded expectations. But from a Pacers standpoint, I mean, Halliburton has been, had, you know, has been made it very clear he's never won anything. This is a chance to win something. How much, uh, uh, you know, how much does this help them as the season goes along? Do you think? I mean, significantly, and in, in based on what we touched on before about the idea that um, you know when you prove you can beat somebody um, of this caliber, like it, it it stays with you. Like that confidence is always there. Um, so you know, like they're like they obviously you know in the course of this tournament, they beat Philadelphia on their court. They beat Boston after they had just lost to Boston by fifty-one. They beat Cleveland. You know, all of the like so they, they beat three. Top four seeds um, from last, they you know three of the top four seeds from last year's playoffs. They also got um, they had Milwaukee already, and there's a good chance that they'll get them. You know they'll get to play Milwaukee again on Thursday uh, if Milwaukee beats the Knicks tonight. And so if they get to the finals, that they'll have to have beaten um, just in this the top four seeds from last year's Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, so you know that's going to be you know confidence that you can carry now. The flip side of this is, and, and then, you know, if, if they beat Milwaukee and, you know, they go in, you know, who knows who they're going to play in the West. Maybe they'll get Phoenix uh, and play a team with, you know, Durant uh, and Booker. You know, maybe they get, you know, obviously, you know, they could get New Orleans. Um, you know, they could still get the Lakers. 
you know, um, like, you know, one of those teams, you know, they could beat LeBron James. Um, you know, it is possible certainly for, for all those things to happen. You cannot rule at this point out that they won't win this thing. They can certainly win it. Now, what's going to be strange is coming down from this high. Um, and I think that's going to be an interesting one for the Pacers in particular, for the league in general, is that you still got, you know, like you're going to have this showcase event and then you still have 16 days after that before Christmas, when which usually is the first event that really, you know, after the opener that really gets the NBA back on the map and people talking about it because, you know, you, you, you know, the kind of fan base, the, the general sports fan is, is into football right now, primarily, um, you know, so like, what's it going to be like? How is it going to be remembered for these teams? You know, coming coming in April, like, is is it going to feel like it never happened? And also, is there going to be a negative effect immediately after? I mean, like, you're so like, if you're the Pacers, you, you know, there's a chance you're playing Saturday night in Vegas in a game that everybody's going to be watching. You know, that's going to be the only only game on TV. And then on Monday, you got to be in Detroit, and then you play Milwaukee again. You know, it could, you know, could be again. And then after that, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at a four game uh, road trip. I mean, you're going to play, you know, if, if you play in the finals, you're going to play six games uh, away from Gamebridge in a row. Um, and, you know, again, like you're going to go from, again, that big high to playing the Detroit Pistons on a Monday um, for which tickets can be had for as low as $13, according to the ESPN website. Um, and, you know, like, you know, then you've got Milwaukee, then you've got Washington. Um, and obviously then a really good Minnesota team at the end of that. Um, so, um, you know, how are they going to deal with this road trip? And if you go ahead and win the whole in-season tournament and you drop three out of four on a road trip, how's that going to go? You know, this is, is like, are you going to feel like you forgot about it in a week? You know, I think that's going to be an interesting piece to it. But uh, there's no doubt from a marketing standpoint the NBA is overjoyed about this. You know, I, I do think people have been, uh, you know, pretty pretty locked into it. I, mean, I think it took everybody a while to figure out kind of what it was. But, you know, the combinations of the jerseys and the courts and, you know, some of the spectacular moments uh, have definitely, you know, allowed the NBA to do something it hasn't in a while. And that's really um, matter in November and December. Uh, you know, like it just it, it tends to fade to the background because, you know, the college games earlier bigger. Everybody's more likely watching the Maui Invitational around Thanksgiving. You know, everybody's carrying on weekends. You know, you're watching, you know, college and NFL football. You know, they've made themselves a watchable game um, at this point in the year. And, you know, again, they're going to be a, a focal point, uh, you know, this weekend when you're, you know, otherwise talking about Heisman Trophy, you know, people are going to be watching, you know, the in-season tournament final. All right. Hey, I want to uh, a couple of bookkeeping uh, things. First, number one, um, if you want to complain about me saying Pacer fans are Fairweather fans, it's Nat N A T dot Newell N E W E L L at IndyStar dot com. You can send your complaints there. I should note if you're there every night, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the it's fourteen thousand people when the team's just eh, and it's you know eighteen thousand uh, when it's exciting. I'm talking to the four thousand people who don't show up. Again, that's their right, but you're a Fairweather fan. Uh, number two, I will note uh, that at no point in this podcast did Dustin say any of the words New York Knicks, even though they were the fifth seed last year, and they are still playing the uh, and they're playing the Bucks and they haven't advanced. I'm pretty sure you put the just automatically put the Bucks in there. So if any New York Knicks fans are listening to this podcast, I don't yes. know why you're doing that, and you no. made it to the end, 
Well, I just want to point this out as a reward that you should harass Dustin about that. Yes, exactly. Because the Knicks have played, like, one of the toughest schedules in the NBA. Um, and so they're, you know, they're legitimately deserving of respect. Um, so fine. And then finally, uh, Dustin will be leaving for Las Vegas, uh, tomorrow. Um, I mean, I, th- I hope it's people recognize that as an example of the commitment we have to covering the Pacers. I'm not sure that anyone else will be from Indianapolis media will be there. Um, we appreciate, they will. uh, there will, <laughs> there, you think there will be? Okay. But, but I anyway, know there but, will be, uh, Scotty and I, bl- I believe Tony and Scotty will both be down there. Uh, oh, excellent, so, excellent. So but, I'm but, not, not that we're trying to advertise for other outlets. I mean, oh no, no, if they're there, pictures. then that's great for them too. The more, uh, again, the uh, bottom line is the more media, the better. But I want to make sure people uh, understand how important uh, the team is to our coverage to us, and appreciate that the company is is willing. To, it's not a cheap uh, situation when you're getting a plane ticket uh, with 24 hours notice. Uh, Las Vegas helps a little bit because Las Vegas yeah. always wants your wants you there to take your money. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but I also wanted to uh, you know. No, give a nod to uh, the company for uh, for sending Dustin there, uh, given how important this is. But but thank Agreed. you for listening. Please go to uh, IndyStar.com uh, for all of our coverage of the Pacers in the in-season tournament and uh, the rest of the year as well. 